There are two kinds of entrepreneurs, as you said. Entrepreneurs that have a very strong focus in one very specific field. And usually, uh, even if they create several companies, they are all on the same field. They all look like each other and there is always a pattern. In my case, I like to create what I've found missing. I look at something that I would use and I'm like, all right, it doesn't exist. Let's try to do something. If the yeah. market is big, if I have the right co-founders, I feel like there is an opportunity and I usually go for it. So that's kind of what happened to me each time I had to create a company. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. Hello everyone, welcome to How I Grew This. I am excited to introduce our next guest, Ben Chemla, the mastermind CEO and co-founder of Shares.io. With a decade of experience, Ben's a true pro at building teams and scaling companies across Europe and the United States. As a French serial entrepreneur and AMF certified business angel, he's taken on regulatory challenges like a boss. From Stuart's 22 million pre-launch success to Shares.io 90 million founding, this episode is packed with entrepreneurial gold. Welcome to the show, Ben. So glad you could join us today. Welcome, and uh, thank you very much for having me, Mada. Really looking forward to uh, having this conversation with you. So let's start with Shares.io. Tell me a bit about what does the company do? Where are you in your entrepreneurial journey? How did you get started? Yes, so Shares is a social trading platform. So it's kind of if uh, Twitter had a son or a daughter with Robin Hood. So mixing a trading platform in which you can invest in stocks, in ETF, in cryptocurrencies, with a social media where you can see your friends' portfolios and moves in real time. And actually, I lived in the U.S. for a couple of years, right after I sold my second company, Stuart, last my logistic platform in Europe. And so I moved to New York, where I lived a couple of years. And this is really where I learned how to trade and invest. But all along, I really realized that uh, I felt lonely, you know, and I was missing opportunities to engage with other people that were more knowledgeable than I was in order for me to learn. I didn't really find such an app. It came to my mind that I had to create something like this. Mm, Very cool. And then where are you guys in your growth journey today? Yeah, so I moved back to Europe at the end of COVID, at the end of 2020, and that's really when I began the work on shares. Shares was incorporated the following year in 21. That's really when we started. So in more or less two years, it's been quite a journey. We have now 150 employees. We have raised three rounds for a total of 90 million. We got backed by Valar Venture, which is a Peter Thiel's fund. They are based in New York, so they are our main investors. And we've launched about a year ago the UK markets quite successfully on May 22nd. We've been the second most downloaded application on the App Store in the UK market. That was amazing success off the gate, which I really didn't expect. And there was this magical viral loop with our users inviting their friends, and it's quite magic. But it's also a very heavily regulated market. So it took us quite some time to be regulated in Europe, which we are now. So we actually last month received our European license for stock trading as well as for crypto. So two licenses. At the moment, we are working on launching 27 European countries. That's amazing. So you talked about becoming the second most downloaded app in the UK. What do you think drove that growth? I think so many companies who are trying to launch are really looking for those viral loops. And I think it's very hard. What do you think made you guys be successful? What were some of the tactics used? 
So launching a consumer product is very difficult. Obviously, B2B is always difficult, but at least you can meet client customers and realize whether or not there is a market fit after uh, almost the first meeting. A consumer product is always full of uncertainty. One way to approach that, which is the one we took back when we launched UK and now we're applying to ourselves in Europe, you first have to have a base audience. You know, it's imagine an app is like a nightclub, right? When you open the door, you need just enough people within the club to make sure that there is an ambience, there is people dancing, there is the melody, there is the music, because otherwise the first joiners will find kind of awkward the vibes and they will probably churn. They won't stay. So you need about 10, 15% to fulfill the room to make sure that there will be just enough people for the party to start. And it's kind of the same thing. So it's about finding the first 5K users. That's the most difficult part. You need this 5K user. And I like to call them the moms. You know, they are here to support your growth, to uh, look after you, to make sure that you're supported and they need to be very engaged with the product and the mission. And so my first work is finding these moms. How did you find them? So usually you look around yourself, your employees, and these are like the first people you will uh, eventually try to bring to the journey. You also can eventually work with some ambassadors, influencers, people that uh, have already uh, an existing audience and cut some deals with them and uh, bring them to the mix. And you can also run some campaign in order to advertise the statutes of being a founding members, which is what, for instance, we're doing at the moment. So we have initiated this uh, campaign, letting people know that the very first user will have a specific profile. There will be a sign. They will have like some premium access, which uh, only founding members will have access to. So it's a mix of things. Actually, tomorrow I'm running a webinar for the French founding members of Shares. Um, so they will have access to this webinar. They will be able to contact me, reach out to me, ask me some questions. We're going to also like host some events physical events, which they will be able to join. So it's a mix of all these things that you're trying to put together in order to make sure that these first 5K users are super engaged. And these are the people that will like initiate the conversation, comment, interact with your users in order to uh, begin these uh, viral loops. Got it. And if I understand correctly, maybe I misunderstood, but you said you guys didn't have a license when you launched. So... Were people able to trade or was it something that they were like just coming to the app and engaging and the trading happened later? No, no, no. Actually, we wait until we had the capacity to uh, let people trade before we launched the UK. And that's what we've been waiting for until recently. So now we authorize in Europe for stock trading, like EU stocks, US stocks, ETF, but also for cryptocurrencies. So we'll have a very wide range of assets available on the platform. So you had the 5,000 users, they were engaged. When you were building those viral loops, were there, was there anything special about the way you guys created your invites or shared that you think drove that growth? Or was it just the quality of those users? Yeah, we learned a lot in the UK. There are some things that we did wrong. Probably we let at the very beginning way too many people in. And as a result, we had very different types of users, you know, the one that we are not necessarily like considering really investing on the platform. And these one are not necessarily the one you want to have, you know, they're creating a lot of noise. And you have also like the more interesting one that can be quiet, but they will interact with a lot of your content. You know, it's like on Twitter, 99% of the people don't post, don't tweet, they just read. I'm one of them, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on Twitter browsing content but I don't necessarily tweet. So yeah, you have a wide range of users. So something that we actually change now we're launching Europe, we have added a limit. So any user can join, but they can only invite two people. So as an early user, you have only two invites. 
And the reasoning behind is actually rather than like having a lot of users, but not necessarily the right one and not necessarily like engage, I would rather like allow my first users to invite only two people, but pick the right ones, the ones that they know that will engage with the product. And yeah, that's one example of something we change between our UK launch and our current European launch. Very, very cool. So before I share, tell us a bit about your entrepreneurial background. You've started other companies. How did you end up becoming an entrepreneur and what was the journey that led you to shares? Yeah, I uh, began as a business lawyer in France. I studied law. Uh, it sounded like it was years ago and I studied forever. It was a long, long journey. And as I was about to really begin my journey as a French lawyer, I actually quit my job on the first day. I realized I was not really meant for this life, the corporate life. I had like a lot of ideas and a desire to be very independent. So on the first day, I went to HR and I said, I'm sorry, I quit. So that's the story of me being a lawyer. And I started then my first company, which was a food delivery platform, very similar to Caviar or Grubhub or DoorDash. We were actually in Europe, the very first platform, both doing a marketplace, working with thousands of restaurants, but also the logistic. So we would onboard couriers, give them like an app in which you can track your order. And that was very, very early on, the very beginning of geolocalization and smartphone. So we've been the very first platform in Europe doing that. We scaled the company in five countries and 11 cities and sold in 2014, which was quite amazing. I was 25 years old. I was just doing my first exits. That was super exciting. It was back when you know food delivery became such a huge thing. And yeah, that's what led me to my second startup. So I had already the knowledge of scaling teams, creating logistic platforms. But since my first one was more like B2C, I had the desire to create the largest fleet of on-demand couriers, allowing any kind of e-commerce and retailer to plug themselves. Like it was an API, so they could connect to our fleet of couriers, allowing them to deliver their own customer within 30 minutes. And that was Stuart, my second company, Stuart.com, which still exists today. And it's now the largest B2B last mile logistic platform in Europe. It's been quite amazing. The company was one month old when I met the CEO of the French Post, which is like, you know, one of the largest transportation companies in the world after UPS and FedEx. And I met the guy, I was 25 years old, and he said, I want to be in. And I was like, yeah, but the company is just one month old. So let us go through our journey of entrepreneurs and he said, yeah, I can invest five. And I said, if you invest 20, let's discuss. And so he invests 20 million. The company was two, three months old. And it, that was at the time, the largest pre-launch seed round in Europe. Um, so quite amazing. Gave me the opportunity to scale super fast in several countries. So we opened 20 cities and three countries within 18 months. This is where I learned how to hire 200 employees in a very short amount of time, onboard couriers everywhere, launch operation. And since we had already a French post in the cap table, after two years, we actually been struggling finding the right investors because they kind of knew that the company would end by being acquired by the French post. So that's probably an, a mistake I made at the time, but it is what it is. You live, you learn. And we ended up selling the company in 17 to the French post. So I was happy, you know, a second exit. I was 28 years old, but yeah, today the company has made, I think last year, almost like 400 million revenue operates in uh, 150 cities, I think 800 employees. So yeah, the company still operates with the people I hire at the time. But yeah, I'm pretty proud of being uh, at the origin of it. Wow. So after doing something that was B2B, what made you 
decide to go back into B2C. I find that most entrepreneurs kind of stay either in B2B or B2C. So curious what led you to that. There are two kinds of entrepreneurs, you know, like as you said, entrepreneurs that have a very strong focus in one very specific field. And usually even if they create several companies, they are all in the same field. They all look like each other and there's always a pattern. In my case, I feel like I like to create what I've found missing. I look at something that I would use and I'm like, all right, it doesn't exist. Let's try to do something. If the market is big, if I have the right co-founders, I feel like there is an opportunity and I usually go for it. So that's kind of what happened to me each time I had to create a company. I love it. What a cool story. What's next for shares? Any new products, new markets? How are you thinking about the future? We believe that we have the right product with the right team, the right capital, the right uh, VC backing us to really support a leader in Europe. So we are super ambitious. Unfortunately, with the current market condition, it would be maybe too much to pretend that we can be a global leader at the moment. So step by step. So the main focus will be Europe with a big focus on UK and France. But that's for the next couple of months. We want to add many products to the mix. We want to add a lot of functionalities, cool functionalities. So we have a very intense roadmap for the next couple of months. Another cool thing is about a year ago, I met with Venus and Serena Williams, the two tennis players, and they agreed to join shares as a brand ambassador and shareholders and faces of the company. And so that is super exciting partnership that we signed with them. So there is a campaign that will go live later this year. So starting November with both of them. We are the only brand since Apple to have them both in an ad. Actually, they did only one ad together in the last 25 years, and that was for Apple. So it's super cool to have them both supporting shares. How did you manage that? Tell me about that experience. What the story? I grew up as a big tennis fan. My dad, when I was a kid, worked at Roland Garros, which is our French Open. So I would be one of these kids who was running around trying to ask for signatures. So to me, Serena Williams is like Michael Jordan. There's only one, right? And actually, there's two. You know, there's her and her sister. So I like really everything what they stand for. And from that moment, you know, I was like, all right, I need to make that happen. So I looked around me and I actually found a friend who knew them because I have different connection in the entertainment industry. So I actually ran into this friend and I said, all right, I want you to join as a partner. You can help us actually create a lot of different partnerships. And one of them could be with uh, Venus and Serena Williams. So yeah, he facilitates a dinner. I first met with Venus. I pitched her over a dinner that was quite epic in Paris because she was trying to eat and I was showing her my phone and pitching her. But we had a great time and we're now like friendly with each other. And she introduced me to her sister and I pitched in the, the sister with her and, and they really were blown away by the vision. And so they joined. It was quite quick. Wow. So cool. What a cool story. Very exciting. And the other thing that I'm kind of curious about is you started companies in Europe, but you also have experience in the US. And I think people, you really struggle making that jump. How do you see the startup ecosystem in Europe versus the US? Where would you advise someone to start a company today? How do you think about that? I would probably say start in Europe and scale in the US. There's something unique about the US. You have a market with hundreds of millions of people that speak the same language, have a very similar culture, even if there are like high differences and gaps between East Coast, West Coast and people living all over like the US. But at the end of the day, it is the same currency, for example. So even if there are like different time zones, I mean, it's not like a big deal. So I think it's unique because when something takes off in the US, you have a unique opportunity to address a 400 million habitant market. Where in Europe, if you want to have a similar opportunity, you have to integrate different regulators if you're in fintech. So different specificity, different rules, different languages, different culture. Like German people are more like into saving plans. 
English people are more into high frequency trading. French people are none of both. You know, they have to learn still like what the finest opportunity is. So it's so different from one country to the other. So yeah, I think that is what is unique. Now, what I found interesting back when I was in New York is how it is expensive to compete with other players in the US. I mean, if you want to be number one in the US, it will require like a lot of capital. While in France and in Europe in general, if you're good in what you're doing, there is an opportunity for you to be a market leader, obviously, for a much cheaper price. So yeah, I would say start in Europe and then scale in the US once you are like very strong in Europe. If you have to do it the other way around, any advice? I know a lot of friends who started companies in the US and have a hard time scaling in Europe. Any advice for them? I would say either you acquire a company that is doing a good job and you don't change anything. There is one good example, TripAdvisor. You know, when they purchased the fork in Europe, they actually did a good job. The fork is the equivalent of Resi or OpenTable in Europe. And they actually barely didn't change anything, even the brand. It used to be called La Fourchette, which stands for the fork. And they barely didn't change anything. Yeah, I used it when I was in Paris. <laughs> yeah, and so it, it yeah. works. You know, like they kept probably for quite some time the team. Yeah, I think you acquire a company, but you don't try to change the culture. You don't try to change the people. You try just to optimize as much as you can. That is one way to go. Or you poach someone that has work, managerial position within our local competitor. And you don't try to just send people uh, from the US without local knowledge. That would be my advice. That's really good advice. The other thing that I thought was really interesting about your background, I don't meet as many entrepreneurs who come from a legal background. Tell me a bit about how that helped you in starting multiple companies. And if you were to go back to school before starting them, would you still go and do legal today? Or would you study something else knowing you want to start a company? 100%. There are also like different kinds of entrepreneurs, I said, but they are the ones that are more like tech guys with a very strong tech knowledge. And I'm not one of them. Uh, I understand tech and, and I've been building tech products for now over a decade. So I know how to build a tech product, but I'm a business guy. I do business. You know, over the last decade, I've raised, uh, I don't know, like 20 rounds of in different ventures. I've negotiated the terms. I've sold companies. I invested also as a business analyst in our company. So I do business, you know. So the way I see my role is negotiating terms, commercial terms. The legal background gives you like what you need to always understand the situations and see how you can find a way to take the maximum out of it, whether it's like a regulatory challenge or just negotiating terms of your next fundraise, always trying to find the best way to do it for your company and yourself. Wow, very cool. I love that. You also invest in companies. What do you look for when you see a successful entrepreneur? What makes you make that jump and be like, yeah, I'm going to invest in this company? Recently, I like when I find myself stupid. When someone pitched me and I'm like, wow, I'm blown away either by the idea or by the entrepreneur or even like both of them. I'm 34. And so I found that like the new generation, people mid 20s, like super inspiring. They grew up with tech. They grew up with social media. They grew up with so many things that eventually we learn along the way. But yeah, I'm blown away by this generation. And lately I've been investing a lot in AI, Web3, and obviously a lot of things are quite new and very impressed by their vision their level of maturity. So usually this is something I'm looking at. I like to learn or something in finance or logistics, which are my two spaces that I know quite well. So I like to feel like I can help. I can connect some dots. So yeah, that's usually what I look for while uh, looking at investment opportunities. Love it. Cool. So before we move to our fast round, which is our fun last three questions, what is something that you think helped you build this company that's maybe different about you that people wouldn't be able to find just looking at your LinkedIn or doing a Google search? 
I've always been hustling, trying to build companies' business, so try to make a business out of opportunities. And when you look at my resume, you feel like, oh, that's another lawyer who's been to a business school and started a company. But actually, from the age of 18, I've been working and I really like advise people to work as soon as they can put themselves in like a professional uh, system. I've done everything. You know, I've been selling hot dogs in the streets for quite some time. I was hosting parties in nightclubs. I've done like many, many different things that you don't see in my resume. I've been teaching math, mathematics. So in every opportunity, I've learned a lot. And it's like a pattern which kind of led me at the age of 22 when I started my first company. I had already like a couple of years of experience, you know, in pitching people, selling stuff. So I really advise young people to begin their journey quite early and jump on any occasion. I think that's a really interesting one. And I think it's probably helped a lot. And I was thinking about my background and yeah, I started working really early. I, it's not because of that, but because I didn't have a full scholarship and I needed to have three jobs in college. And looking back, I'm happy that I had to do that because had I not done it, I think it would have maybe taken me longer. Maybe I would have never started something. So I think that's such good advice. It's amazing. Yeah. So let's end with our lightning round, which is three fun questions to get everyone to get to know you better. First question, if you had to delete all the apps on your phone and you could only keep one app, what would you keep? I would probably keep WhatsApp. I spend a lot of time on WhatsApp. I interact with, even in my investor, I send them like some small report on WhatsApp. I interact with friends. I interact with my family. So yeah, WhatsApp is really my place for both family, chat, friends, business. So yeah, WhatsApp is amazing, simple and efficient. And then if you had an app to let you talk to an animal or a type of animal, what would you pick? I would pick a lion. I would ask him how it feels to be a king. <laughs> love it. I love that. Okay. And then last one, what's an unlikely app? phone that maybe your friends would be surprised knowing you have it so an app that i had to delete uh, a couple of years ago was tinder so unlikely to be found on my phone no more tinder and higher and dating apps on my phone i'm married and i have two kids now so that's probably the one you won't find on my phone cool okay awesome this was so fun i learned a lot what awesome inspiring stories thank you so much for being on the show thank you very much my and looking forward to see you soon Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.